Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Billboard on Broadway podcast. I'm your host, Rebecca Millsoff, senior editor at Billboard, Broadway fan extraordinaire. And though Tony's season is over, there is still a lot of exciting stuff happening on the podcast, uh, such as our guest today, who, uh, if you're a Broadway fan at all, the mention of her mere name is probably enough to inspire spontaneous queen declarations, squealing, ecstatic emoji usage. Uh, Leah Salonga is the kind of legend who at this point is a lot like Audra McDonald or Bette Midler or Patti Lapone. You can pretty much just refer to her by her first name. She's just Leah. Um, thanks to the role that made her a star, uh, which was when she played Kim in the original production of Miss Saigon when she was just a teenager. And then uh, she pretty memorably played Eponine in Les Miserables in the early 90s. Uh, she really is a canonical Eponine, if you care about such things. Um, but even if you're not a big Broadway fan yet, chances are that you already know Leah's voice because she has sung two Disney princesses, uh, Jasmine in Aladdin and Mulan. Uh, so in a way, Leah is kind of as close to a pop star as the Broadway world gets. She has this instantly recognizable voice that is pretty close to perfect, in my opinion. Um, and sh she has this uncanny ability to really directly emotionally connect with her audience, whether you're seeing her live or just hearing her on, say, a Disney soundtrack. Um, I grew up being a huge Miss Saigon and Les Mis fan, and she was totally a hero to me in the way that I presume Taylor Swift must be to little girls now. Um, my friends and I totally wore both of those soundtracks out. We were extremely defensive about anyone who even hoped to sing those roles after Leah, um, and she was just a queen then and a queen now. That's all I can say. Uh, so even though she is the kind of star that you know, people like me might think of her as sort of frozen in time at one age. She's, you know, she's not an ingenue anymore, but she still sings all over, um, not only in concerts. She was in recent years in the New Musical Allegiance on Broadway. And in the pop realm, she has been a coach on The Voice of the Philippines, which is uh, her home country. And most recently, she released an album, Blurred Lines, uh, which, yes, is a Robin Thicke reference which was recorded live at uh, the show she has done at Feinstein's 54 Below, which is a big cabaret venue in New York. Um, and the album is really a mix of what I would call Leah's greatest Broadway hits, some kind of musical theater standards, but quite a lot of pop too, uh, including The Beatles, Tracy Chapman, One Direction, yes, One Direction, and uh, the song that the album is named for, too, which she puts a very interesting spin on. So she stopped by recently to talk about her Broadway career, making this album. Um, and as you'll hear in our chat, she really absolutely loves pop music and loves talking about it. The story of my life, I take her home, I drive on.
I love the album, and Thank I love you. hearing you singing all of these pop songs, which we will get to. Okay. Uh, but um, this evolved from a live show of yours, so I would love to hear, first of all, how you conceived that show in the first place and how it eventually seemed right to make an album out of. Um, well, first we got the invitation to do a residency at Feinstein's 54 Below. Um, up until that point, I had done three very well-attended uh, cabaret performances and engagements over at the Carlisle, mm-hmm. um, which is a legendary cabaret club here in the city. Um, and then I got asked to do something similar for 54 Below. But the vibe in 54 Below is very different. It is... How will I put it? Well, one, it's on the west side. Two, it's in the basement of Studio 54. So <laughs> that already will give you an idea of the kind of feel that that this intimate place would have. It's a little larger than the Carlisle. The Carlisle will only allow maybe, like, definitely less than 100 people. And... Um, 54 Below would allow for something bigger. So we could afford to have repertoire that was somewhat expansive, but needed to really be intimate too. So how, I guess how we formulated that set list was to take, to take stuff that I knew that was road tested. We had a lot of road tested stuff already from either the Carlisle or from concerts or from concerts in Manila. And I guess the ones that we felt really kicked us in the gut, whether it was funny, whether it was um, touching or tragic, um, something that I guess would send us on emotional highs and lows. Um, and then we, then the list would just get shorter. And and then, then we were like, yeah, these are the right ones to do for this. And then to figure out in what order we would do them in. So it would just be a nice program of peaks and valleys and um, also, when I when I would sing something that was a little softer, it gave me time to kind of leave, to kind of vocally just bring it down, and I can rest for like a couple of minutes before mm. I have to hit something big and high again. So I think it was a smart program. If if you were to compare it, say, or equate it to like one of those high intensity interval training videos, <laughs> there would be there would be moments when it would be like you know, just kind of nice and easy, and then boom, it would get more difficult, and it would go down again, and then boom, it would get more difficult. It wouldn't be like intensity 10 and then staying there, because that would just be unrealistic and difficult, and it would get boring to a listener's ear. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then the decision to make the album, I think when, I think, I think after a couple of nights at doing the show, it, it there there came the suggestion of, this is so good. We should make an album out of this. And so Amanda, our sound engineer over at 54 Below, she's a resident, the, the resident over there, um, because she had all of this great equipment, as in Neumann microphones is what we were using over there. So it was like, all right, well, let's let's just record this. And so she recorded four days worth of shows um, and then mixed, mastered, and now released. And in terms of the title, Blurred Lines, which is a song on the album, why did that feel emblematic of the show as a whole to you, to give the album the title? Um, because I think you, you can't really tell what song is what when you're watching the program or when you're listening to to the album. You don't know if that came from a musical. You don't know if that mm-hmm. was an original jazz standard. You don't know 
who sang this first? I mean, I do stuff by Tracy Chapman and One Direction um, <laughs> and Bonnie Raitt. But there's Bon Iver, who also has a version of this one song. And then, I mean, and then there's Leon Russell, but it was also covered by Karen Carpenter. So there's all of this stuff. And even certain versions of those songs, you don't necessarily know how those ones started or what they must have originally sounded like. So it's like the, the lines kind of between the genres are blurred mm-hmm. for this album. And you'll have a pop song that kind of sounds like this could have been a jazz standard in that the beginning of its life. Um, and then we have, and then we sing blurred lines. Well, I sing blurred lines and Jack Kavari plays guitar on it. And it bears very little resemblance to the original. Yes. Except for those same chords that keep playing over and over again. And that's probably the only clue that the audience has as to what what's coming up. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that part of the fun of this being a live album is that you do hear the audience reactions as you're yeah. listening to the songs and uh, <laughs> we'll get to blurred lines. But I mean, is... Do you like when you when you sing a song that you can audibly hear the, the audience reaction to? If it gets a quiet reaction, is that kind of a different like impetus for you to keep going with the song? Like, what what are you looking for for um, response? For me, I I like I like hearing an audience response, um, and it kind of steers me almost like a street sign into which direction I should go. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I hear a quiet audience. And when I know that they're really listening, then I I just try to make sure that the that the lyrics are clear and that the emotional um, content or whatever I'm using to back it up is also very clear. And sometimes when you're when you're in a room and it's when you're quietly listening to something, trying to get every nuance without interrupting or disturbing what the artist is doing, it's like. Um, sometimes it gets a little uncomfortable for mm. me because then I don't know what the audience is thinking. I don't know if they're being offended. I don't know if they're as uncomfortable um, or if they're having fun but just not showing it. I don't know. Because I mean, even culturally, different people will have different reactions to things. But I don't know. For that, for that particular song, I like it when the audience gets into it and start to be very audible with their responses. There are some songs on this album, though, where I like, where I kind of stop on purpose. Um, I don't know if those, I don't think those stops are are that apparent on the album, but sometimes I'll just stop and I'll see if there's anything in the room, and sometimes I'll hear nothing, Mm -hmm. which means everybody's just quiet. No phone ringing, no, you know, it's almost like people are not breathing at the same time. And it's like, okay, I can continue. I just want to just wanted to see what was going on. If I if I had created the right sort of vibe for this. Well, this kind of brings up I, I think that the word cabaret gets like a bad rap with people that think it means like what do people like, think I think that you know cabaret sometimes people think it indicates like overly theatricalizing things Actually, being melodramatic no. it's the polar it's the opposite, opposite I think. Yeah. yeah and I, I wonder like what as an outlet for you as a performer like what does it allow you to do that like being on a Broadway stage doesn't necessarily well the thing about being on a Broadway stage first let me just go there um, is that you ha- you need to kind of play to 
the person in the very, very back of the house, whatever that seat might be, and take into consideration that that person might be deaf. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so, I mean, that was what was taught to me. You got to play for that that guy. Um, That guy needs to hear you. That guy needs to feel you. In a cabaret room, because of its intimacy, there isn't that. And that, that can be very physically draining, doing musical theater, because of the amount of physical stamina and output that every actor on that stage kind of needs to keep in mind because of that deaf guy over in, yes. the, in the back, back row. In Cabaret, because because everybody is so close, I mean, the, the furthest anyone is from you is maybe 20, 25 feet, if that. Your facial expressions, even if you're, if you even if you have a blank face, people can see that. Like the bartender could probably see that too. <laughs> so, if there is any difficulty, it is having to remain emotionally present. Um, because if something is off, everybody in the room will know. Um, and that that has nothing to do with having to be theatrical. Um, it has nothing to do with talent. If you're having a bad day, people will feel it mm-hmm. because of the intimacy of the room. Um, if if and if you know if you're if you're having an off performance, um, I mean if you're one if you're one of the better performers, you'll know how to cover it up. Um, but it's it's definitely something to to keep in mind because it's like. It's like you're. It's like a conversation like this. It's like mm-hmm. what you and I are having. We're only what five feet apart, if that. Yes. <laughs> um, and and so if one of us is off, the other one will know. Mm-hmm. So it's it's that's that's kind of the feel. But it it does allow for emotional freedom because then if I really get into a song, I feel like I don't have to amplify it unnecessarily to reach the person in the back. I can just feel whatever I'm feeling. And 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 just sing and not worry about anything else. It's just, here's the song. I have all the lyrics in my head. I know what I'm emotionally supposed to create here. And then I just do it. And I think that in that way too, Cabaret seems to me like a great place for a performer to experiment because you feel the room. The room is different every night. Yeah. And I mean, these songs are a great example of how you can kind of like play with a standard and, you know, see how it reads, you know, to different ears. Right. In a way that you couldn't if you were doing a concert at Carnegie Hall, perhaps, or something like Indeed. that. Yeah. Um. So that is a good seg- segue to first, I have to ask you about my favorite song on the album is the story of my life cover I'm, <laughs> as a One Direction fan. Um, so first I want to know, like, what is your relationship to pop music? Are you do you listen to what's on the radio now? Like, are you a big pop fan? And how did you come to this One Direction song? OK. All right. Um, I guess I've always been a pop music fan. I listened to the radio a lot when I was a kid. Um, and I guess the pop music of my growing up years were Olivia Newton-John and the Carpenters and the Osmonds and ABBA and that was what I listened to a lot at home that's the stuff that my parents would play and on my way to school then I would listen to then there's Michael Jackson and then because of Michael Jackson being kind of ubiquitous at that time then we had to get Thriller and then which led to Off the Wall which led to um, live albums and and then it just kept on kind of going from there and then there's also and, and I was a huge 80s music fan so I probably knew 
a lot of the lyrics to anything that Boy George, Madonna, Prince. <laughs> um, I would love to anybody. hear you sing some Prince. I know. <laughs> I know. I'm sure, I'm sure that we'll we'll figure something out. Um, maybe for the next cabaret. Maybe we'll do a tribute to all the music that I grew up listening to. Um, but yeah, so I mean, when you're when you're like 14, 15 years old, you, you listen to Madonna. And I remember having to sing Madonna. I used to front Menudo whenever they'd come to the Philippines. What? Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> and so um, I would, and Ricky Martin still teases me about the song number that I did with backup dancers and umbrellas. He's like, I still remember the number with the umbrellas. I'm like, I don't even remember the number with the umbrellas. <laughs> the umbrellas and you were still do. It's like, yes, thanks for reminding me. No, but it was it was really cute, and it was walking on sunshine. Of course, there would be umbrellas. <laughs> and in the Philippines, people walk with umbrellas in, under the sun, um, which, if you think about it, is actually very smart. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, we, we get the sun all, all year. Um, so I guess I've always been a fan of pop music. I guess I've always sung it. And as for One Direction, I mean, I knew them as, I mean, with the really cute songs. I mean, What Makes You Beautiful? And, and, and I know them as handsome and adorable. And I did not know about the existence of this song, about the story of my life, until my brother told me about it. About him telling me, this, this is a, it's a really good song, you have to sing this. And... Of course, I kind of fudge up the story um, when I perform just because it's, I think it's a better narrative. But I assigned it to one of my people on The Voice first before oh. I sang it. Um, and it was, and then I assigned it to him and he's like, I need a way in to this song. I think that was his question. And as, as for me, I had already listened to the song. I already even fell in love with the song. I mean, like, I knew that I would eventually sing this. Mm-hmm. But for his purposes, he's like, what, what's my in? And then I would and then I would ask him about his more personal life. I mean, not romantic, personal life. Because the song for me, um, it doesn't strike me as romantic at all. Um, there are people that would see this as a breakup song. And I'm like, no, let's look at it from a, we've got to look at it differently. Mm-hmm. So he would talk to me about his mom. He would talk to me about the conversations he would have in the car with his mother. He would, who's still alive, by the way, um, and about certain difficult topics that the two of them would then have to tackle. And I said, you know what? That's your in. This is your in. And this, okay, here is the lyric that you, and because all of, everything on The Voice has to be like edited down. You can't really Mm -hmm. sing all the verses, every bridge, every chorus. So... And, and the form, it's like, it's like verse, chorus, bridge, chorus again. So, or, or truncate something. So I'm like, here's your, here's your in. You talk about this when you sing this first. You talk about this when you sing this first. And when you get to the chorus, this is what you sing about. And then we're going to put in a key change and then we're going to let your voice just fly. And, and, and I don't think I had seen him really get into the performance of a song in the way that that one, or that one really hit him I think Mm -hmm. and he felt really close to it and it was like okay you're just creating magic right now up there and I think a lot of the and then I think the audiences felt the same way Mm -hmm. head over to Hulu this March where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long catch the award-winning movie Poor Things starring Emma Stone Mark Ruffalo and Willem Dafoe check out the new documentary Freaknik The Wildest Party Never Told 
about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. And uh, we should listen to a little bit of Fast Car because I like that one a lot as well. Oh, yeah. I remember the first time I listened to it, it was I was listening to, in Manila, Casey Kasem's American Top 40. <laughs> and then he ha- he was introducing this brand new artist named Tracy Chapman. And I remember it was it was dark in the car, so it was definitely nighttime. And then the song came on. And then I'm like, what is this that I'm listening to? This haunting story and then and then so when this came up in my repertoire and i first sang it at a concert at town hall it was like oh gosh yeah we got to totally do this this is just going to be the coolest thing for me to do because i have because of my association with that song and it has this like kind of stripped down jazz feeling that i enjoy yeah and i mean even the very actually even the original version it's just really tracy and a guitar to start it and then and then I can't, I, and that's like the best parts of it for me when it was just, da, na, 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 da, na, da. yeah, and when it was just her and, and that voice and that voice, oh my gosh, that voice <laughs> that sends the hairs on the back of my neck just, just standing up because it's just so haunting and plaintive, nothing overly produced, nothing, you know, nothing, there's nothing overly anything about how she did that song. It was just very straightforward and honest. And I think that that was like the best part of it. And I think, too, it when I listen to someone like you, who I I feel like one of your primary vocal qualities is just how pristine everything you sing sounds like. It sounds like there's a note. There's not a note you can't sing when you get into an environment like this where you can sort of loosen up and dirty up some of the notes. Is that like a challenge for you or is it like, ah, finally, I can do this or Uh, I, I don't really think about it. It's it's. It's 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 nice when to be able to make a note pristine if it needs to sound that way. Um, but as far as dirtying up anything, I don't try to consciously do it. It's like, okay, here's my chance to dirty up this song. <laughs> it, it doesn't it doesn't really hit me in that way. It's it's you got to give the song what it requires, whatever that might be. And if it requires something clean, then great. If it requires something a little less less clean, then then sure. And then I I just try to. I try to sing depending on what the song requires of me. Mm-hmm. It's not me trying to impose my will upon the song. I try to let it be the other way around and and and, and see what it kind of dictates for my voice to do. Well, Blurred Lines certainly calls for the less clean approach. Yeah. And I love that it's like down and dirty, Leah. Um, uh, <laughs> Sort of a controversial song, but I I yeah, like how you've like turned it around completely. I think <laughs> <laughs> so. Like, what? Why blurred lines in the first place? Okay. Um, in preparation for concerts in Manila a few years ago, um, my director came across this video of this young lady. I would say she was in her either very late teens or early twenties, singing this song. And I mean, we. I first listened to Blurred Lines in Manila, and I don't think we really had the baggage of what of this of of what it was. I guess over here, 
which was the creepy misogynistic chauvinistic mm-hmm. you know and and, <laughs> and so and so because we didn't have the baggage in, in manila we're like oh it's a robin thick song oh it's cool whatever and didn't take it too seriously i think that that was the kind of the vibe that i got it was oh it was a cool song uh-huh. and didn't read into it any more than than i guess we had to and then our my director bobby he came across this version on youtube and he's like and he sends me a message you got to listen to this you got to check this out so i did and i'm like this is even better than the original that was my that was my reaction this is it it was sexy it was just it was sexy and honest and it didn't give me the vibe of i mean even the first one didn't really give me the vibe of creepy maybe i'm just so old that it <laughs> it doesn't speak to me i guess in that way and then this this girl was just so straight and her vocals were impeccable and then and then so we covered it and then it just and then it's now it has a kind of a life of its own and now we keep singing it here in this in fet 54 below and now it's on an album and we just have fun with it it's it's incredible we, we just have so much fun with it well, I think, I mean, you sing it completely from a woman's perspective. Exactly. Which I think makes you hear the lyrics in a totally different way. And exactly. It is kind of like lady taking control feel, which is really fun. Yeah. Yeah, they say, you know, they, they call women the fairer sex, you know, the more delicate. Um, it, it's not it's not always that way. And I think if you grow up where there are strong women present or always present, and you you, you look at a song like this, it's it's not so much that it's empowering i mean it is but then there's also this thing of a woman being in charge of the sensuality in charge of setting the tone for this say interaction between herself and and somebody someone that she spies in a bar and finds herself attracted to and that she's the one making the moves but it's not that, but she's not getting all creepy about it. You know, I try not to, I, I, for me, it's like, no, this, this, the woman singing the song cannot be creepy. It cannot be creepy. <laughs> it should not be creepy. It should just be, it should be playful and sensual and sexy and yeah. And commanding, mm-hmm. but that's, that, that's it. I think you accomplished that for sure i enjoy it and it's funny to hear the audience being like "Ooh, okay <laughs> yeah it, it starts off like oh what is this oh it's that song oh okay we can get into it yeah I, which is why i always say don't take it seriously there's a whole emotional arc that happens yeah it's fun and it's just fun to sing it's just so much fun to do so there is i love the fact that you have a greatest hits medley you're like a one-woman rock band too has her greatest hits that she like brings along. Right. Um, and I mean, you've, it's, it's an amazing thing that you've been in iconic shows. You've been the voice of iconic Disney princesses. Um, I wonder when there are those songs that you sing year after year that you know everyone wants to hear. Um, as a performer, like even though these are amazing songs, how do you keep it fresh? How do you keep yourself from being like, oh, another on my own? Like, <laughs> um, I don't know. They just never grow old. That's a good thing. They just don't. And 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 these are if 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 a song is really good, it's going to hold up. It's not going to get stale or or spoil. You know, if you leave it out. Um like a chicken salad that goes bad. Um 
it's I guess for me if it's it's always trying to find I guess what's new and something always makes itself known that hey you didn't explore this part yet or you've not explored this sufficiently yet and the fun thing about doing these songs in concert is that if I bring whatever's happened during the day or a recent experience and then I kind of bring it into whatever songs I sing something something changes or if another memory say from just life pops up at that at the exact moment and then it, it kind of changes the tone in my head um, of how I'm supposed to attack it and yeah I mean I've been singing for example I've been singing I give my life for you literally for like, since I was 17 I'm 46 now so next year it'll it'll be 30 years since I first learned that song and yeah I sang it hundreds upon hundreds and upon hundreds of times on stage in character but it wasn't until after I gave birth to my daughter that the song made real sense and that that's and and that's like six years after I left the show no five years after I left the show that's when it finally went oh my god that was that's what that song was about why didn't anybody tell me that well, because it's it's one of those things that no one can tell you about. Mm-hmm. So, and then, and I know that there are ladies that have played Kim that do have kids, that have that have their kids, and then they got to play that role. So they're the ones who have the most insight into what that song actually means, and to do it in the context of the show. I don't know how they're able to not break down every single night. Because it takes so much effort to not lose it um, with that particular song mm-hmm. when having to sing it in front of however many people. So I try to keep it as, as distant and as, as far away because if I don't, then it, it runs the risk of, of me just breaking down in the middle of the stage. Mm-hmm. And I can't do that. So yeah, it's, it's so yeah, something makes itself new and known. And, and and then the next thing you know is like you're a, just you're just a blubbering heap on the floor. <laughs> have you have you noticed a change in your fans over the years in terms of when you know when people talk to you it shows the thing that they bring up to you that they love you from or you know has there been an evolution in that are you surprised by what people bring up from time to time? Um, well, people bring up when they're from the Philippines they'd usually say that I, I used to see you I, I saw you in Annie when I was literally nine years old <laughs> and. So these are obviously fans that are older, and these are going to be professionals, either nurses or doctors or teachers or moms that have raised, um, who now have adult children. Um, there will be those that, that will have remembered me from Miss Saigon or from Aladdin or from Mulan or from Les Mis. And then there will be people that saw me just recently in Allegiance. Um, so there's... So there's like this whole gamut, I guess, of people that have been with me at various points of of my career. And it's it's really nice to be able to speak to them and then for them to tell me what it was that, you know, and they're, they're like, you're the voice of my childhood is what I get a lot. Which I just said. <laughs> <laughs> you're the voice of, of my teenage years or I first list, I first stumbled onto you on YouTube when I was maybe 14 years old or something like that. And it's it's really sweet. 
It's and really it, sweet. And I feel like you're also a vocalist that people feel uniquely passionate about in terms of like you own, <laughs> I mean, speaking as one of those people, like I, I've just noticed like when you come up in conversation, like people will be like, no, like there's Leah and then there's everyone else. Like, oh my gosh. And I mean, it's it must be crazy to, you know, have that kind of fandom where people are like, you, you are it for me. Well, I guess if, if I'm the first version of something that people listen to, you never forget the first one. So that that might be it. But if I'm the umpteenth version and you still feel that way, then it's like, ow, okay, <laughs> I will take that. I don't know. I think I think what I do is if, if I'm going to cover somebody, I have to. I, I can't be a carbon copy of such and such. Like I mean, I do define gravity a lot. I'm not going to be a carbon copy of Adina Menzel. I have mm-hmm. to put this song in my key. I have to make this in my sweet spot so that when I let out these big notes, I'm not straining myself you know, busting out of of my sparkly gowns just to reach that note. It's not no, I'm not, I'm not gonna do that. I I I I have to sing things where my sweet spots are. I never thought about that. Are you and Azina in like very different I, I sing I sing actually a lot of her stuff. I sing well not a lot of her stuff, but I do sing Define Gravity and I do sing Let It Go. Um when I have like when there is a very specific request for either one of those songs and it does happen quite a bit. And they're fun to do. <laughs> they are fun fun to do and the thing that I love about Edina I mean when I saw her in Wicked and this was after she won her Tony Award for that role I saw her I mean she came out on stage I started crying <laughs> and then the, the great thing about her singing to find gravity in the context of the show mm-hmm. is the unpredictability of of just her you just you, you cannot you are not able to roadmap which way she's gonna go with anything which makes it exciting you know and and I had friends that have performed in that show with her. I mean, the guy who choreographed um, Allegiance was an original cast member of Wicked. Ah. Um, and another one of the guys who was in the show, who understudied one of the leads, was in that same original company of, of Wicked. Um, so it's so yeah. You just for me when you sing when you cover somebody, you have to make it your own. And if in doing so, you start to gain these fans that all of a sudden then tell you it's you or, and then there's everybody else. It's like, wow, I, I just I just wanted to make it comfortable for myself. <laughs> this will work. Um, how has your voice changed over the years? Because I feel like I heard aspects of your voice on this record that I hadn't really thought of before. Like even on Story of My Life, I was like, oh, she can sing really low. Like has your voice evolved like as you've gotten older? I think it's gotten a little bit lower or at least the lower notes are much more stable. I mean, I, even in Miss Saigon, I was, it was written for me to be able to sing stuff that's low and... And then there's also stuff that's just astronomically high, which which drives me insane <laughs> about that part. Um, I think it's just that my voice, it, it feels really comfortable. Maybe it's by singing a lot of Karen Carpenter material as a kid, just singing along with her because her voice is this 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 honey, sweet, rich alto. Um, I don't know. My, my low notes are definitely much more steady and stable now that I'm older. And I think that's just a function of getting older. It's not a function of me trying to achieve that necessarily. So, yeah, but I feel like my high notes are still are still there and actually have become 
strangely easier to reach. So, so it's like I have different ways of hitting an E flat depending on how I'm feeling, <laughs> which means which makes a run of a show that what that much more easy to negotiate because I, I I don't have to like pin myself onto singing it a certain way. Say if I sing it great on a Wednesday and by Saturday I feel like I'm exhausted, then I I, I know how to sing just to get through uh-huh. until the next rest day. I think my technique has just gotten stronger. And are there songs on this album that you maybe wouldn't have attempted back when you were 17 that now like really feel right to you in a different way? Um, I th- I don't think I would have had any insight into the A Song For You mashup with I Can't Make You Love Me. I certainly would not have had any sort of way in. Um, I think it's not so much the vocal stuff. It's the emotional stuff that there would have been absolutely no way that I would have attempted any of that just because... I had no right as a human being to sing those songs. But the older one gets and the more experienced in life one becomes, then there's there's like so many songs then written by people that have been through all this that I can kind of try because now all of a sudden I can I can interpret it because I know what that's like. Well, this has been great. Thank you so much for oh, coming you're by. And good luck with the album. Thank you. Goodbye. I know you want it. I know you want it. I know you want it. You're a good boy. Can't let it get past me. You're far from plastic. Talk about getting blasted. Leah Salonga's Blurred Lines is out now on LML Music. You can find it at leahsalonga.com and on lmlmusic.com. And as usual, if you like the Billboard on Broadway podcast, please find us on iTunes. Give us lots of stars and nice reviews uh, on Twitter. I am at Rebecca Milzoff. If you want to tweet at me about the podcast, feel free to use the hashtag Billboard on Broadway. And we hope you'll be back next week. Bye-bye.